0: Okay, so, I don't know about you, but this last week my inbox was getting flooded with all different types of advertisements. All these potential sales offers for Black Friday. Today and only today, an extra 10% off. Or deals continue, 50% off sale, 20% off regular price. Not to mention the 30 to 60% off stuff, free shipping and more. My inbox was going crazy. Also, um, when I do my appointments with people, I actually I, I, I don't think. I, I always tell people, if you want to sit down with me, I'll make it work. Just get a hold of uh, Allison at the office. She'll work a time schedule with you in a place and she'll put in my day timer and then I open it up and uh, I know where to go and whatever. So it was interesting. Friday Um, Usually it's a study day, usually I'm at home, but my my calendar got filled up a little bit and I I looked on Friday and I wasn't really thinking and, oh, I got a 10 o'clock appointment, no problem. And I start driving and I couldn't figure out Friday why there was so much traffic, I kid you not. And I'm driving and my appointment was at Polo Park. (laughs) Who books an appointment on bad Black Friday at Polo Park Starbucks? Like, oh, so needless to say, I'm, I'm stuck in traffic, and uh, it's like, hey, where are you? I'm, been waiting, like, I'm trying to get there, but I had to park in the furthest corner to walk across the mall. Sorry, I had to get that off me, you know. Have you ever thought what makes Black Friday black? Now, it's interesting, because uh, in the U.S., Friday after Thanksgiving holiday, obviously last week is the start of the Christmas holiday shopping, and according to some... You know, it's the crowds of consumers that are drawn by the retailers to start the shopping season. And they say, well, the, it's called Black Friday because the consumers are, are the, the retailers um, finishing the black, you know, for the first time all year. Actually, if you do a little bit of research, the truth is far different. According to the Oxford English Dictionary, the most likely explanation regarding Black Friday started out as a reference to terrible traffic conditions on that day and due to the influx of shoppers at the city centers, regardless, uh, where, the city centers uh, in Philadelphia where the congestion got so bad, it was the, it was the workers and the traffic people who called it Black Friday. It had nothing to do with retail, which I thought was interesting. Regardless, if you know me, you know I'm not a fan of shopping. Now, I do the shopping, I am the grocery guy at the house, that's, that's my job. I am a mission shopper. Do you know what a mission shopper is? You know what you want, you go in, you get out. When you take your spouse with you and you try to mission shop, you're done. Your mission is a failure, that's all I can tell you. So, not to point out any of my spouse, but that's just the way it is. So I had to get my head around the idea of Costco. I hate Costco. People lose their minds as soon as they pull into the parking lot. Do you notice that? All sense of human decency is gone. Never mind having a cart, walking through the store. My boys don't like going shopping with me at Costco. Why? Because I go through this stuff, they're pushing the cart, and I'm literally throwing stuff at them and keeping going to get through. Or the vortex of hell, do you know of which I speak? Ikea. You can never get out of that place. I just hate it. And you know, every little shmikamaka murkama, like you can't even pronounce the names of this stuff. (laughs) And at Christmas time, I would like, uh, yeah, really, I don't even know how to like, it's almost like the gift of tongues is needed when you go to Ikea to understand what's going on. Now, (sighs) I need to say this, because I had to, I, I figured that there was something going on. And so ladies, did you know, ladies, that it's a scientific fact I kid you not. It's a scientific fact that shopping is more stressful on men than it is on women. Did you guys know that? According to a report from the Oregonian, British psychologist David Lewis found proof that shopping is hazardous to men's health. (laughs) Isn't that beautiful? I'm helping you guys out. Come on, increase your offering before you leave. Right? Testing, the guy tested volunteers aged 22 to 79. Just about everybody in this room, all right? 22 to 79 men by sending them out Christmas shopping. In that process, he recorded their blood pressure and he found that their rates uh, were, and I quote, you'd expect to see in a fighter pilot going into combat. (laughs) Isn't that great? (laughs) And in the exact same test, only one of four women showed any signs of excessive blood pressure. So, you know, but seriously, what should actually be the greatest season of the year, which should actually bring us joy and warm our hearts, instead often brings us stress, does it not? And heartburn and headaches, and in many cases, actually depression. And so the, the stress associated with the Christmas holidays often makes uh, that which should be actually a wonderful season of the year a miserable mess. And in fact, I would not be at least surprised if a few of you said that you are actually dreading uh, instead of looking forward to these days leading up to Christmas. Starting next week, we begin Advent here at Seoul. Now, the stress, the stress that plagues people at this time of year are rooted in three basic sources. The first one is money, you know, paying for stuff, whatever. The second one is time. Yeah, I'm so busy, 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 like getting everything done. And the third one is actually relationships. So conflict and, and family, pain, past memories, uh, things that resurface like that. And so over the next uh, four Sundays, we're, not only are we are going to be doing Advent, we'll be looking at all of these together and giving you some Christmas survival skills. Twas the stress before Christmas, right? It starts at Friday. Like even even yesterday, people in our life group, I heard some guys go, like, I don't even want to go near the malls, even like right now. And that's just how it is. It's just, guys. So, So let me say this. There are seven irrevocable laws during the holidays, and here they are. The first is the time that you spend finding a parking space is inversely proportional to the amount of time you have to spend shopping. It takes you for hours. Secondly, the other checkout line always moves faster. If you don't believe me, change lines and see what happens. Third, be aware of the three most frightening words, some assembly required. Be aware that unassembled toys take three times as long to assemble because the guy who wrote, them, who wrote those instructions speaks three different languages and English is not one of them. Right? You ever put a, I can't even find what's going on. And there's always at least one missing part and there's always going to be a bunch of piles of nuts and bolts and stuff left over and you're just going, where does this go? Fourth, the three most often overlooked words are batteries not included. We'll talk about a kid's depression at Christmas time, right? Or fifth, when you return to the store to buy the gift that your husband, wife, or child showed you the previous day, it's gone, and they're not getting any more, right? You've been there? Uh, What about you hear a loud crash in the living room, the sixth one, and it's highly probable that your Christmas tree fell? You ever have that? I'm not a cat fan. I, I just have to say that. I never have been when I was a kid, so I remember my parents in the fall going to get a cat from the Humane Society and bringing it home, to which, I, and this is pastoral confession, I, I tormented the thing, I would bark at it, I would, I would hit, you know, and I'd watch it hiss and go hunchback around the room, and I drove the stupid thing crazy, and one one Christmas, I barked at the cat, and the cat just lost it, and I guess mom was had enough, and that cat went up the tree, and the tree fell over, and... The next day, we got a dog, (laughs) so I was pretty happy. I thought it worked really well for me. So, you know, that's just the way it is. But the final one is that if you're ever going to have a toilet get plugged or a sink get plugged, it happens at a family gathering during Christmas, right? Irrevocable irrevocable laws there. So when we think about it, stress at Christmas is nothing new. The events surrounding the first Christmas itself were filled with actually unimaginable stress. And I, I... I don't think we've actually taken time to look at it that way. The angel showing up. It scared the bejeejee's out of people. It scared the shepherds, uh, uh, the the living daylights out. Mary getting pregnant out of wedlock. That's stress. Joseph, Mary's husband-to-be, wants to break off the marriage, wants to end the relationship. That's stress. Joseph's told that Mary's carrying the Son of God and it's up to him to care for him. Uh, No pressure, but stress, right? Joseph, along with every other head of the household, is compelled by law to return to the city of his birth for that census. Stress. Joseph finds himself on the road with a pregnant woman. Stress, right? No rest stops. Oh, you got to be kidding. No restaurants, no comforts. And you think about it, I doubt it that Mary was... Uh, in a good mood at the time, by the time that they arrived to Bethlehem. I very doubt that. She was on a donkey for crying out loud. And when they finally arrive, what does Joseph do? He finds out that there are no vacancies. He has to turn to his pregnant, possibly irritable wife, and tell her that they're going to stay in a barn. Can you imagine, honey, if we ever, can can we go stay in a barn? Like, I might as well forget it. It would be over. I want to submit to you that there was a ton of stress at the very first Christmas. So stress at Christmas actually goes hand in hand from a biblical perspective, if you think about it. And so what is stress? Well, it's, it's the body's alarm system, right? It can be caused that, that by anything that creates a state of arousal or alarms our systems, by anything that mobilizes our body's defenses against hostile, threatening, even challenging events in our environment. Our body kicks in. So stress can, result, can be a result of anything that annoys you, that anything that excites you, that threatens you, that scares you, that worries you, that hurries you, that angers you, that frustrates you, that challenges you, that criticizes you, anything that reduces your self-esteem. And it could be caused almost by anything pleasant or even unpleasant, as we're familiar with. Experts actually say that getting married is actually more stressful than getting fired from your job. Hmm... And for some of us, easy on the laughter, <laughs> retirement is more than twice as stressful as moving into a new residence. Isn't that interesting? And again, symptoms of stress, when they come, we get, we get headaches, we get irregular heartbeats, you get dizzy, you get lightheaded, we get indigestion, we get nausea, right? Difficulty uh, um, uh, falling asleep or, or staying asleep or you're waking up constantly tired. Stiffness in neck, believe it or not, in our shoulders, in our jaws, in our arms, in our legs, in our hands, or our stomach, or suffering from colds, from the flu. Even hoarseness can be a result of stress. Excessive perspiration. That's just me all the time. I I can't do that. Anger or irritability. How is that? We never see that, especially at Costco or Ikea. And perhaps you see some of these characteristics reflective in your own life, especially now. You know, I tried to compile a list of things that happen that this time of year that actually contribute to induce stress in our lives during this season. Let's see if any of these ring a bell. Sending out Christmas cards. Is that stressful? For some? Sure. Shopping for gifts, oh yeah. Getting to the necessary holiday parties. Putting up the decorations, untangling the strands of lights. Plugging them in and finding that you're missing 25 feet, right? They're not working. And the spouse gets on you. All you want to do is substitute them for blue lights. Now, forget the white lights. You just want to substitute, but that's not good enough. Cooking a meal, right? A huge meal. Cleaning the house, wrapping the gifts. For some of you, the stress is in actually buying a tree because you're a purist. You need to go out, cut one down out of the park, Right? For every one of us, fighting traffic is stressful, is it not? Stupid drivers, don't know how to yield, don't know how to merge, right? You with me? Don't know what a stop sign is. Having enough money to buy gifts, is that a stress? Or for married? Figuring out when to celebrate at both sets of parents without offending either? Mm, no. Nah. Or the stores are out of the gift that you're looking for? My favorite, stress, gaining weight, everybody said, amen. Christmas programs, right? Concerts at the kids' school that you have to attend. You need to be there. Hearing Mary, did you know 150 times? It's a rhetorical question. Yes, she did. You don't have to sing it anymore. Or just simply cleaning the house is stressful for some. You know, forgetting somebody that you should have purchased a gift with. How does that do in the stress component? Feeling pressure to make a memory knowing the year is coming to a close and you didn't accomplish what you intended to do. Facing relatives you don't get along with, the crazy aunts, the crazy uncles. Knowing that maybe you'll spend Christmas alone. Being part of a family that celebrates Christmas because of a divorce, separately. And of course, and I said it earlier, my favorite, Christmas lights that don't work. Arranging travel schedules, have you thought about that? Missing loved ones who have passed away, paying off our credit cards, walking through crowded stores, members of your family who, who find where you hid their presents. And when you compile a list, a list like this and you actually go, it's easy to see why Christmas is a major period of increased stress for many people. And you have to ask the question, does Christ have anything to say to us in the midst of this season of hurry and rush? And I believe he does. After all, it's his birthday, right? So what does he think about this? So what I want us to do is actually go back to a very unusual verse today, uh, actually chapter and story that would not normally be associated with Christmas, but has everything to do with stress. John chapter 13, Jesus and his disciples are in the upper room. They're about to participate in the last supper together. Jesus washes the feet of his disciples and he predicts his betrayal, and then he finishes this chapter, and it's a mini lecture to this guy named Peter, his disciple. And he says, Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, he says, I'm going where you can't follow now, but will follow later. And Peter asks, Lord, why can't I follow you? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, and he says, will you really lay down your life for me? Because very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you'll disown me three times. As you're well aware, life is a journey. And as we move from day to day, month to month, year to year, the scriptures are constantly highlighting to us some things that maybe in our lives that are not healthy that we tend to be carrying along. And so as we go into the holiday time, people get anxious for all sorts of reasons. And we carry all sorts of stresses and all sorts of anxiety. And really, we shouldn't be carrying this stuff, but we do. And if you read the Bible, and if you actually go into the original Greek, if I can put it that way, you'd find out very quickly when you're reading that there's no such thing as punctuation marks. That's not how writing took place in, in, in this time. And so it's not un- until the translators came, began to translate the Bible, that they had to use punctuation to make sense of the scriptures. And it's a whole detailed process. I'm not going to get into it. But as we see that, especially in the English language. We need this punctuation. And even today, we enjoy the importance of proper punctuation. You know, take a look at the following sentences, for example, that are going to be up on the screen. The only um, thing that is distinct about them is a single comma, and yet their meaning is as different as black and white. You have don't stop, don't stop, right? Well, in the first sentence, uh, you're asking somebody to continue doing what they're doing, kind of like scratching your back, oh, don't stop. (laughs) <laughs> oh, don't, don't stop, right? You with me? In the second sentence, you're asking the person to stop what they're doing. Don't stop, right? Well, in the second sentence, that you, you know, you're not really impressed with what's going on. It's that comma, though, that makes all the difference in the world, you know? And maybe you're not all that impressed regarding punctuation. It's no big deal, Jerry. It's no big deal, really? Well, I, the Globe and Mail published something that, said that there was a grammatical error uh, with Rogers' communication and they were forced to pay an extra $2.3 million uh, extra dollars to use utility pools in the Maritimes after their lawyers drafted a contract and put a comma in the wrong place. It cost them $2.13 million. It's interesting, sometimes we measure the quality of our lives with punctuation marks. You know, we have periods, we have commas, we have colons, semicolons, right? Question marks, uh, apostrophes, and the use of these marks are often vivid descriptions to the written word, but it also signific- some of us find it that it signifi- uh, signifies ourselves as well. Stress of the holidays are upon us. Do you feel like a question mark? Maybe you're left standing and there's a whole lot of unanswered questions in your life. Maybe some of those unanswered questions are questions about faith. You know, you're here at a church and you're hearing this guy pontificate and that's fine. And maybe you have questions about faith. Maybe you see life. Maybe that is your life. You're constantly the question person. Or maybe you feel like you're a hyphen. This is my personal favorite. You, you suffer from spiritual schizophrenia. You know what I'm saying? You, you, you hyphenate two separate lives. You're a Dr. Jekyll Mr. Hyde. You, you shout on Sunday, but you pout on Monday. You got me, right? You know, these are the people that on Sunday, they hug you. On Monday, they mug you. You, you, got, you got me with that? There's no simple definition can, that, that we can really go, but sometimes these are how we feel. Maybe you can describe yourself as an exclamation point. You're a vertical line underscored by a dot. You know what I'm saying? It signifies some sort of dynamic, powerful, enthusiastic uh, injection. You're always making a point. You're always making a demand. You're always making a statement. Or maybe you know somebody like that. Some people see their lives as periods. That's it. It's done. No, it, it, that's the end. It's over. No going back. It is what it is. There's no change. Others see their lives with a comma. Maybe I'm a comma. A comma is never used at the end of a sentence. Whenever you use a comma, there's always more to come. The story's not finished. Right? More to follow. So in the most stressful part of his life, and the life of the disciples, when you look at it, back in John, Jesus uses a lot of periods and a lot of commas when communicating to the disciples. And he tells Peter that he's going to deny him. Peter, you're going to deny me. And Peter doesn't believe it. And as we continue to read in John, he, he writes that just a few hours before Jesus is arrested in the garden, uh, you know, he's telling his disciples all this, a little while I'm going to leave you, you're gonna, I'm going to be crucified, you're going to abandon me, and then Peter's offended, tells everybody else, pledges his allegiance, and he's ready to go to prison, even death with Jesus, and Jesus simply says, will you really lay down your life for me? Look it, before the rooster crows, you'll disown me three times. Jesus is arrested. He's taken to the courthouse. As the story goes, each time Peter is confronted by somebody, he says, I don't know who he is. On the third denial, finally, after a few cuss words, the rooster crows. And I actually believe it's at this part here that we can all walk away with identifying with Peter. Because at this point in time, the light went on, and Peter made a realization that he failed miserably. Have you ever been in that spot where you've had a realization where you failed miserably. With all the stress around us, we react, don't we? Or sometimes we're not thinking, sometimes we're just in the reaction mode, we're doing something that we've never dreamed that we would do, maybe we said something that we never should have said or dreamed that we should have said. Maybe it's in our jobs, maybe it's our families, maybe it's with other relationships, maybe it's even with God. And Peter couldn't believe what he had just done and he was wrecked. The stress got to him. Luke 22. it says that after this all took place, that he went out and he wept bitterly. It was as if all the stress was building up as a volcano, and when it finally erupted and the eruption had taken place, an honest realization took place, that eye-opening moment that he had failed. And I think for all of us, in in the time of stress, when things happen, we have those moments where our eyes are open and we screwed up, period. And many times, we are actually left with the thought that I can never recover from this. It's over. That's it. It's final, period. And that's how we start governing our lives. And so what I want to do, though, is this morning just bring you a brief word of hope that the idea that in spite of all the stress that's around us that it's actually possible for us to get over our personal failures no matter how huge they've become with the understanding that the hardest person to forgive is ourselves. Peter couldn't believe what he did. Luke said he went out and he wept. Bitterly by himself. And so this is actually typical of you and me. When we fail, we often withdraw. We withdraw from our friends. We withdraw from family. And if you're a believer, what do we do? Sometimes we just withdraw from the church, right? Because we failed. And the beautiful story of the scriptures is that God saw what took place with Peter and he knew that he would have to do something incredibly special in order to win Peter back. And so when you continue to read and you go on into the resurrection story, what does God do? He dispatches an angel with a very special message in Mark chapter 16 and he says, go tell the other disciples and Peter specifically mentions Peter, and that Jesus was risen from the dead. That was the first Easter Sunday morning, and God knew that that Peter was stressed out. He knew that Peter was in trouble. He knew that Peter had isolated himself, that he withdrew himself from the disciples. And so what does God do? God ensures that there's a special invitation made to Peter by himself. And then think about that for a moment. Here you have Peter, the guy who boasts that he would never let Jesus down, says it in front of absolutely everyone, and does let Jesus down, not once, but three times. Like I said, even ending with a little bit of cursing added to it. Comma. And God still reached out. And I think some of that us need to hear that. I think because we... Where some of us sitting here today, we know we've screwed up. We've known we've blown it in in one way, one aspect of our lives. And what you need to hear this morning as you come into a place like this and you see the water baptism, you see the baby dedication, and you see the, the prayer taking place, and you hear the songs, what you need to know is that it isn't over. And it isn't over for you. One of the greatest characteristics of God is that he's always reaching out to us. It happened in the garden of Adam and Eve. When they sinned, what did they do? They tried to hide. God plays cosmic hide and seek. Where are you? He came, and he was the one searching for them. The one who knows us best, the one who knows us more about our failure and the depth of it than anybody else, what does he do? His nature is to constantly call us back. God knows it all. God sees it all. God knows the damage. He knows the debris, the chaos that we create, and what does he do? He still reaches out. He reaches out to Peter. He's constantly reaching out to us. And God is not vindictive, he's not punitive. He forgives and he restores the fallen. Merry Christmas. Do you know that when you study the scriptures that in John the, the last time it's in John that the, the last time that Peter's failure is ever mentioned in the entire New Testament. It's never mentioned again. Nobody picks it up and writes about it after you know Paul John even Peter himself doesn't write about that failure ever again isn't that a wonderful way to end a failure but the story is not finished somebody often said that we often put periods where God often puts a comma so true Many times we look at situations and and circumstances around us, be it in your own family or your home or your church, your city, your nation, your job, whatever, the world. We look around, we see that it's devastating. It may look like it's coming to an end and we get discouraged and we get disheartened. And the fact of the matter is we need to begin to learn to trust God and know that he has the final word. And what may look like a period What may look like an end is actually an opportunity for God to come on the scene. And as the final author, he can take his eraser or just add a little hook. And the story is not finished. And so throughout the course of human history, God moves in people's lives. In the midst of situations where it seemed a period was placed. You look in the Old Testament, the story of Joseph, the son of Jacob... You know, he had a series of periods placed in his life where you think it'd be the end. He's he's put into a pit by his brothers, right? Sold to a bunch of slave traders. He's falsely imprisoned for rape. He forgot, he was forgotten by his fellow prisoners and friends uh, until God's perfect time for him to come forward. He could have stopped, but when he was facing his father's death, Joseph reveals God's purpose of all those different commas in his life. And all that that Joseph faced in his life, it was bringing him to a place where he could be used to save his family, and ultimately, when you look at the story of Joseph, bring salvation to the world as an heir of Abraham and an ancestor of Jesus Christ. Job, another example of the commas of God. You know, his wife, his friends, encouraged him to give up. You know, they saw periods that, you know, uh, that's it, Job, it's over, stop. They thought it was over for his children. They thought it was over for his home. They thought it was over for his possessions. Everything got destroyed. It's over. And he moves on. And with Joseph's life, God turned Job's periods into commas and, of course, had the last word. And Job 42 says, All of his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before it came and ate with them in his house. They comforted and consoled him all the trouble the Lord had brought upon him, and each one gave him a piece of silver and gold ring. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, 1,000 dogs. He also had seven sons and three daughters. The author isn't finished yet. And God, God's promises to take life's periods and to change them to commas if we trust him in the midst of Uh, of our lives trials and storms you know as we look at the examples of those who have gone before us in scripture those who placed their trust in God and we see how God brought them through let me just say this you can do the same for you and for me our text reminds us of God's love God's care for us and in the midst of all of our lives uh, uh, you know uh, all the periods, all the dead ends, the detours, the diversions, God's plans for our lives will be fulfilled as we trust and walk in his promises. Look how this story concludes in John chapter 20. In the evening of that first day in the week, when the disciples were together, the doors were locked for the fear of the Jewish leaders. Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, came in and stood among them. And he said, peace, peace be with you. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord, and again, he said, peace, be with you. Do you hear those words? They're often associated with Christmas and stress. Peace. Peace, be with you. Who doesn't want that, especially when we're going into a time that can be potentially stressful? If Christmas is not all about Jesus, then we really don't have a reason for the deep peace and joy that we should actually experience. The best we can actually do is hope for happiness. You know, happiness is that good feeling that comes when things work out for us, when there's nothing wrong with wanting. And and, and again, there's nothing wrong with wanting and seeking happiness, but it's not joy, and there's a difference. Joy comes from a deep love and a deep understanding of God's love for us knowing that he loved us so much um, and wants to be with us so much that he sends his only son as our Savior, God with us, Emmanuel. He gives us joy regardless of our circumstances, in good times and also in bad. And again, it's a kind of joy, it's a kind of peace that is not dependent on things working out. It's not dependent upon happiness. We can only experience this joy when our lives are moving with God. And I think the greatest tragedy of Christmas is that God himself would be that God himself would like to be with us and that we wouldn't know it because we're too busy or that we're too stressful. You want to know how to have the best Christmas ever? Notice I didn't say stress-free. Or do you just want to survive it this year? Well, if you want to have the best Christmas ever, make the main thing the main thing. Doesn't make a lot of sense, but the best way is avoid turning. In, the best way to avoid turning into the Grinch this Christmas is to remember what the point of the holiday is all about. Why do we do this thing? What's the main thing? Christmas isn't a task or a burden, you know, to complete or to endure. It's a celebration um, of the burden that Jesus carried so we could be free from sin and death. We often hear the song at Christmas time. You know, "Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given." And I think we have to take that concept and realize that it's a, uh, uh, we've got to conclude that Christmas is actually a birthday party for the birth of Jesus. And it's more than that, it's a celebration that's added to it because it marks the day that Jesus was born. Why? So that we could actually be set free. So don't let the stress of making a list and checking it twice keep you from celebrating the salvation that came with Jesus. Make the main thing the main thing this season, but remember Christmas is a celebration of God's ultimate gift of salvation. When we understand that, we then, what we can do is then choose peace over chaos. Right? In a a letter to the church in Colossae, Paul wrote what it looked like to be alive in Jesus, making the main thing the main thing. He instructs the church, he says, Look, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. And I think this instruction is true for us today. Look at, we're going into a nutty time. I want to give you some skills in the next few weeks, but we're called to live in peace. We really are looking at our lives with thanks for what we have instead of complaining about what we don't have. People, let's let peace rule our lives. The stress of life will begin to slowly fade away. The chaos of the holidays is then put into a context and suddenly becomes null compared to the grace of God and the joyful peace he brings to our lives when we seek him. Are you ready for that? So it's time for you to exhale. Maybe some of you need to do that right now. You're, you're going to be leaving this place. You're going to hit the road. Some of you are going shopping. Some of you are going into the malls. You're, some of you are just crazy. I'm just going to say it. But you need to exhale. You need to take some rest and take in God's presence. You know, your house may not smell like fresh baked goods and your tree may not sparkle, but seeking Jesus and his peace during this holiday season will actually ensure that you have the best Christmas ever. Let me conclude with this. Are there areas in your life where you put a period, but maybe, just maybe, God's ready to put a comma? If that be the case, then I want to invite you in your own way just to pray what you need to change. Maybe you're withdrawing from friends, from family, from the church. I want to encourage you to stop withdrawing. Maybe you just need to forgive yourself. Stop beating yourself up. Maybe you need to go so far as to seek counseling. We can help you with that. What's one positive step that you can make this week to get things started? It's easy to see how Christmas, you know, a holiday that's meant to be celebrated, the the greatest good news in the history of man can, can be the most busy, the most stressful, and actually for many the most enjoyable time of the year. And maybe you're here this morning you're going jerry i I, pff, I don't know if I can do this. Well, maybe you're here, you're going, "Hey, I hear what you're saying, and i got a whole lot of questions I'd like to talk to you about or i I have a whole bunch of questions about God, or, yeah, you know what you you, you hit something i there's some stuff I need to deal with maybe I need some counseling or therapy well. Maybe you're here and you just can't come to the place to forgive yourself of your past. Well, my word of encouragement to you is maybe that you need a spiritual reset. And what I ask you to do, and you have my permission, everybody can take out their phones. Everybody take out their phones, got it in your hands, you can turn it on. Most of you are playing Candy Crush, so I don't really care. But you pull on your phones, you take out your phones, you go to your text app, and if you want, when I'm praying, there's going to be a number that's up on the screen. And you text the word soul to that number. We do this every Sunday. What will happen is that we will contact you personally. Whether it's myself or somebody else, we will text you. We won't phone you. We're not going to creepy stalk you. We're not going to do anything. We want to pray with you. We want to answer your questions. We're simply saying we care about you. We care about your spiritual well-being. We want to help you in this journey that we call life and this guide. And I will guarantee you that somebody will respond to you personally within the next 24 hours. God uses others to reach out to us. And he's going to show up exactly where you're at. And it's who he is and what he does. And, you know, we are waiting for God to come and bring peace. And sometimes we forget that God has already come. He's already broken into our world. He's already shined a great light. He's already sent his Holy Spirit in order that we may be the body of Christ in the world. And that we don't just wait for peace, not even just make peace or try to make it work. That we become the peace of Christ in our homes, in our churches, in our communities, in our nations. So, as I pray, and you bow your heads, you close your eyes. As I pray, and you want some follow-up, you just text the word "soul" to that number. And let's pray. Jesus, sometimes stress gets the better of me, and I feel as though I'm weary. But there's so much to do and so little time, and so my workload keeps going at school, at work, as well as at home, and. The demands on, uh, on me from everyone is, at times, simply just too much. It's too overwhelming. I know many of us feel that in this room today. Our energy is drained and we feel as though maybe we're losing hope that this life just isn't getting easier. Give us strength, Father, to overcome these negative feelings and to get all the tasks that we have to do completed efficiently, effectively, and on time. God, I pray this morning you would calm our minds, give us peace as we look ahead to the Christmas season. And God, my prayer is that you would help me not to forget to praise you in the midst of chaos. Because life can be so overwhelming at times. And so we ask for your divine guidance and protection through it all. In the name of our beautiful Savior, Jesus. Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Thank you for coming. Thank you for putting up with a very full morning. Now I want to encourage you to go out and to celebrate and have a great time. In traffic, exhale. Exhale. As a matter of fact, I want you to do a little uh, prayer um, posture with me. Squeeze your hands. That's all the tenseness, the stress that's coming down the lines. Turn your hands to the face of the ground. Let gravity, let it go. Just let it go. Let those things that drive you nuts, let it go. Turn your hands back up towards heaven and invite the peace of God into your life. In ancient time, the one who blessed extended his hands for a blessing. Those who received a blessing did likewise. Here it is, people. With your hands upward to heaven, may the joy and peace which only God can give and which cannot be taken away by anything in this world be yours today and in all of life's tomorrows. Now may you go with his peace and go and live the church. Be blessed. We'll see you next week.